Hi, I'm Chris Evinger, and welcome to Nightfall Audiobooks. This is The Snowman by R.L. Stein, a point horror novel. This is the 23rd book in the point horror series, and the 8th book written by R.L. Stein. I read this book a lot as a kid. Keep in mind that's 20 years ago. I'm 38 now. I can't remember too much about what happens. I know that Heather hates Uncle James so much that she fantasizes about killing him, and there's a character called the Snowman. And I think it ends with her encased in a real snowman, and she uses her dad's lighter to burn her way out? Something like that. I can't really remember what happened. Again, it was 20 years ago. It's 181 pages, so it should be pretty fast to read. There's only a couple of characters, so I can get my voices figured out very easily. So I'm looking forward to reading this for you. This book is being recorded in my home studio. My process is, is I go to a studio and I record a book that's in a text file format and I can narrate, and that's what you guys have been getting historically. This book is not like that. This book is from the page directly to you, recorded entirely in my spare time, and I don't have speakers on this computer for some reason. I have a TV, it has HDMI, and that has speakers, but I don't turn it on when I'm recording. When I record, any of my false steps or flubbed words or anything, I will stop, mark the audio file, and then re-record it until it sounds the way it's supposed to sound, and then I just move on. Because I'm in a basement, you're going to be hearing some noises, like pipes moving, so it's not completely ideal. It's not a very fully soundproof room, as much as I would like it to be, and as much as I tried to make it that. This book is being recorded in my spare time, and what it's doing is, is it's doubling my editing workload. I went from editing one book at a time that I recorded in one studio to editing a second in a different studio. That's okay, but it's also given me more options on where I can set these books to come out in my release schedule. So thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoy The Snowman. It's going to be a lot of fun. I have read this book before. I'm looking forward to seeing how it holds up 20 years later. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter, at Nightfall Audio. I have an email address, nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com, and I'm on YouTube at Nightfall Audiobooks. Please leave me a comment, like, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell whoever you want to tell. I would love to hear from you. Please interact with me. I love hearing from you guys. The few comments I have gotten have all been positive, and I really get a kick out of, of reading what you have to say. If you have any suggestions or comments on how I could improve the show, or something that you want to hear next, please let me know. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Chris Hebinger, and welcome to a Nightfall Audiobooks production, The Snowman by R.L. Stein, a point horror novel. Chapter 1 Uncle James, where are you? I'm up here, Heather, up here on the roof. Heather zipped her down jacket up to the collar and trudged around the corner of the house, her boots crunching on the ice-hard snow. Up here, Heather. I see you, Heather called, shielding her eyes with one mittened hand as she peered up at her uncle on the snow-covered roof. Long, pointed icicles hung in a row from the gutter, dripping onto the snow below. Hold the ladder for me, will you? I patched a leak. Now I'm coming down, Uncle James said, his face red from the cold. On his hands and knees in his ancient olive-covered overcoat, with his long, bony arms and legs, he looked like some kind of gigantic insect. Heather slipped, lost her footing, and fell onto her knees. Hurry up, will you? he snapped, impatient as always. I'm coming, I'm coming, Heather muttered, picking herself up slowly, brushing the snow off the knees of her jeans. I'm freezing to death up here, Uncle James complained. Why are you always in slow motion? 
Heather gripped the sides of the aluminum ladder. A strong gust of wind nearly blew her and the ladder over. She leaned forward against the wind, repositioning herself to get a better grip. Hold it steady, Uncle James screamed. I told you, I'm freezing to death. What a good idea, Heather said, watching her uncle on his hands and knees, struggling to back over the snow-filled gutter onto the ladder. What did you say? Heather didn't reply. She wrapped her mittened hands tightly around the sides of the metal ladder. I heard that, her uncle shouted. Only his boots in the back of his coat were visible to her. You will be grounded for that remark, Heather. It wasn't a remark. I meant it, Heather said, peering up at him into the silver afternoon sunlight. As he cautiously lowered one boot onto the top rung of the ladder, she pulled with all her strength. The ladder tilted away from the house. Heather let go and moved quickly out of the way. The ladder fell onto the snow with a loud crunch. Hey! Her uncle scrambled back up onto the roof, his black-gloved hands scrabbling frantically over the snow-covered shingles. He looks like a big green squirrel, Heather thought, chuckling to herself. Hey, are you crazy? He screamed, sitting down on the snow, turning to face her, his face red with fury. He swore at her and called her his usual string of ugly names. Put that ladder back up. Bye, Uncle, Heather called calmly. She gave him a little wave with her red-mittened hand and started to walk down the driveway to the street. Get back here. Where are you going? She kept walking. She didn't look back. Put that ladder back. Now! Another string of abusive names. You have such a foul mouth, Uncle James, Heather thought, turning right at the street and heading up the hill. Maybe you will freeze with your mouth wide open. i like to see that. I'll freeze to death up here, he shouted, his voice muffled now by the snow-laden trees. That's the idea, Heather called without turning back. Chapter 2 No, no, that's all wrong, Heather thought. That's not good enough. Much too slow. She closed her eyes and pictured her uncle up on the snow-covered roof again. Heather, hold the ladder, he called. I'm coming down now. I've got it, she shouted up to him, gripping the ladder on both sides. The metal felt cold right through her mittens. She adjusted her feet. The snow was deep and hard. A layer of ice had formed like a crust over the surface. Hold it steady, Uncle James ordered, placing one boot, then the other, on the top rung. Heather waited until he had descended a bit, his boots on the third rung, his long, bony hands gripping the top rung above his head. Then she pulled with all her strength. Yes! The ladder swung quickly away from the house. Heather let go and stepped back to watch. Hey! Behind his thick eyeglasses, Uncle James's eyes opened wide with fright and surprise. The ladder was standing straight up now, supported by nothing, about to come crashing down onto the snow. Close your mouth, Uncle James. You'll drop your teeth! Heather enjoyed the terrified look on his face, the way he gripped the top rung so tightly, even though the ladder was about to carry him down to his death. And then the ladder toppled over onto the snow. The loud crunch, the sound of an egg cracking. That was Uncle James. What a nasty fall, Heather thought. Her laughter echoed off the heavy, white trees. "'What are you thinking about, Heather?' Ben asked, pulling away from her. She could still taste his lips on hers. "'Oh, sorry,' she said, her fantasy still lingering in her mind. She shook her head as if trying to shake away her thoughts. "'Okay, now I'm back,' she thought. "'I'm sitting in the front seat of Ben's Honda Civic, and I was kissing him.' "'You seemed a million miles away,' Ben said, removing his arm from around her shoulder. He raked his hand back through his straight black hair, inserted her questioningly with his large, dark eyes. You were thinking about dinner, right? You were fantasizing that I was a giant roast beef. Yuck, Heather said, giving him a playful shove on the shoulder. Ben was a good guy. He could always make her laugh. Nope, you were a turkey. Hey, that's what everyone calls me, he joked. Her expression turned solemn. No, I was thinking about Uncle James. Oh, that's real flattering, Ben said, gripping the steering wheel with both hands, rolling his eyes, acting offended. You're kissing me, 
and you're thinking about your Uncle James. How come? Does he kiss better than I do? Don't be disgusting, Heather said quickly, making a face. She turned and stared out of the fogged up window at her snow-covered front yard. I was thinking of different ways to kill him. Oh, well, that's healthy, Ben said sarcastically. He leaned toward her, put his hands gently on the sides of her face, and turned her head back to him. Kiss me again, and maybe you can think up some ways to kill your aunt, too. Heather reached up and pulled his hands away. They were so warm and she was so cold, cold all over. Aunt Bella's okay, she said quietly, staring straight ahead at the steamy windshield. I think she must hate my uncle as much as I do. She's just too afraid of him to admit it. Ben didn't reply. He took her cold hand between his and squeezed it tenderly, trying to warm it up. Heather suddenly felt guilty. Why had she let her mind wander to her uncle while she was kissing Ben? Impulsively, she grabbed the back of his neck and pulled him to her, pressing her lips against his. Without you, I'd be so lonely, she thought. Without you, I'd be so sad. And yet, her mind wandered when she kissed him. Some of the old excitement was gone. Was she growing tired of Ben? No, it's just my bad mood, she decided. It's just that I hate Uncle James so much, it's ruining my feelings for everyone else. Still holding the back of Ben's neck, she kissed him hungrily. Oh! The loud noise right by her head startled her. She jumped back in her seat, her heart pounding. It took her a while to realize what was happening. Someone was standing outside the car, hitting the passenger window. Uncle James! Chapter 3 Uncle James! He was tapping hard on the glass with the wooden handle of the snow shovel. Through the fogged window, Heather could see that his narrow face was bright red with anger, his eyes nearly popping out of his head from behind the thick, metal-rimmed eyeglasses he always wore. His thin lips were pulled back, revealing the yellowed, false teeth that made Heather sick every time she saw them. Hey, what's his problem? Ben asked, letting go of Heather and edging back to his side of the car. Leave us alone! Heather started to scream. But before she could get the words out, her uncle pulled open the car door and she nearly toppled out onto the snow. Hey, let go! Uncle James grabbed the elbow of her jacket and tugged. I've been calling you for 20 minutes. I know you heard me. No, we couldn't, Ben started. But Heather knew better than to resist when her uncle was this angry. She allowed him to pull her from the car, then jerked her arm away and stood facing him, determined not to cry or be upset. What do you want, Uncle James? she asked coldly, reaching up to straighten her blonde ponytail. Don't you care what the neighbors think? he asked, his voice high, excited, his face still red. He had tossed on a bright yellow down ski jacket over the flannel shirt and baggy brown corduroys he always wore. He's so ridiculous looking, Heather thought scornfully. In that yellow down parka, he looks like a pencil with a red eraser at the top. She didn't answer him, just stared at him, aiming all of her hatred toward him, wanting him to wither away and disappear, to melt under the heat of her strong feelings. Well, even if you don't care what the neighbors think, I do, he said angrily, tossing a snow shovel halfway across the front yard. Parked here like a tramp in broad daylight. We weren't doing anything, Heather said. Mr. Dixon, I'm real sorry if I... Ben called, leaning across the passenger seat, sticking his head through the open doorway. It's time for you to go to work, Uncle James said, ignoring Ben, simply acting as if he were invisible. If you can tear yourself away from your lover boy long enough, maybe you'll get to your job on time for once. I'm never late for my job, she muttered. Her job. Waitress at the Cook's Kitchen coffee shop at the mall. It was such a boring, terrible job, and it took up so much of her time and made it so hard for her to keep up with her schoolwork. And why did she have to have a job? Her parents had left her a ton of money in a trust fund, a trust fund Uncle James wouldn't let her touch. Uncle James believed in hard work. He was teaching her to be responsible. He was teaching her to have self-discipline. What a joke. He was deliberately making her life hard and miserable, 
as he had ever since she was three and her parents had died in an awful car crash and she had been sent to live with him and Aunt Belle, thirteen years ago, thirteen years of being taught lessons by Uncle James, thirteen years of being embarrassed by him, thirteen years of being afraid of him, thirteen years of hating him. Heather, I'll call you later, Ben said. He had climbed out of the car and was walking around the passenger side to close the door. I'll be at the mall till nine, Heather sighed. Jamming her hands into her jean pockets, she turned and followed her uncle, who was already crunching over the snow to the house. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, she thought. As if reading her thoughts, he turned suddenly. She saw that he had an odd smile on his face. The lowering afternoon sun reflected off of his thick glasses. His face seemed to glow bright yellow. He's not looking at me. He's looking past me. He's watching Ben back down the drive, Heather realized. He's smiling because he's celebrating a victory. He's so happy he interrupted us, and he totally embarrassed me. She gripped the pocket lighter in her right pocket and squeezed it hard. The plastic lighter had been her father's. She carried it with her wherever she went. It wasn't a good luck charm. To Heather's mind, she hadn't had much good luck. But it was somehow comforting to have something that her father had carried and held. Daddy, if you only knew what Uncle James was really like, you never would have made him my guardian. I hate you! Uncle James spun around, his features pulled tight in anger. Oh! Heather hadn't meant to scream it aloud. It had just slipped out. You're a very disturbed young lady, her uncle said in his scratchy, high-pitched, almost womanly voice. He clenched and unclenched his big, bony hands, staring hard at her. Very disturbed, he repeated, turning and hurrying into the house. You need help, young lady. You really do. Chapter 4 the Cook's Kitchen Coffee Shop was a long, narrow restaurant located between two shoe stores at the Twin Valley Shopping Mall. A long, white formica counter ran the length of the restaurant, and 32 red vinyl stools lined up along it. Heather knew just how many stools there were. She had counted them many times when the restaurant was nearly empty, and she was bored. Eight red vinyl booths with tables, each booth wide enough to fit six people, ran along the wall across from the counter. A girl named Marjorie, who really couldn't chew gum and talk at the same time, was waitress for the counter. The booths were Heather's responsibility. Hi, how's it going? Heather said to Mel Heater, the cook and manager, as she straightened her black and white uniform. Tying the white cook's kitchen apron behind her, he looked at his watch in reply. Okay, okay, I'm ten minutes late. Big deal, Heather thought. She hated the way Mel looked at his watch every time she arrived, and she hated the stupid uniform. It was so coarse and ugly it made her look and feel forty years old. Hi, kid, Marjorie said, nearly choking on her gum. Heather gave her a little wave. She hated the way Marjorie called her kid. She hated the smell of grease that she couldn't wash out of her hair. She hated the customers who were always in a hurry, who were always unhappy because their food wasn't good. She hated the greasy quarters they slid under the plates for her, her tips. Why do they come here if they want good food, Heather wondered. But mainly she hated the fact that this job took up so much of her time, kept her from studying, from seeing her friends, from seeing Ben, and it was so unnecessary. A tired-looking couple, dressed in identical gray-down jackets, pulling a reluctant little boy with a runny nose, made their way to the back booth. Heather picked up a tray in three classes, filled them with water, and took them to the table. The little boy was whining loudly, protesting that he wasn't hungry. The mother and father, still in their coats, had picked up menus and were ignoring his pleas. Is the fish fresh here? The woman asked, staring at the menu. We only have fish sticks, Heather told her. The woman made a face. Then I guess I'll have a cheeseburger, she said. I don't want a cheeseburger, the little boy cried, wiping his runny nose with the back of his hand. Use your napkin, the father said, studying the menu. I'll come back when you've decided, Heather said, and started back toward the front. But I don't want anything, the little boy called after her. Hi, Heather, 
Heather immediately recognized the hoarse, squeaky voice. She was surprised to see her friend Kim Slater standing at the counter. Kim was short and a little chunky, and the three long, bulky sweaters she had chosen to wear, one on top of the other, made her look nearly round. Kim! Hi! Heather cried, happy to see her. She looked behind the counter to the kitchen to see if Mel was watching. He wasn't. He was back by the dishwasher. How'd you know I was here? I called your house, Kim said, starting to stuff her gloves into a coat pocket, and then remembering she wasn't wearing a coat. Your uncle must have been in a bad mood or something. So what else is new, Heather muttered, adjusting her ponytail. What did he say to you? He started yelling at me about how I shouldn't call and disturb him when you weren't home. But how am I supposed to know you're home unless I call? He's angry at me, Heather said. Then quickly added, for a change, he caught Ben and me kissing in the driveway. Kissing? He gets angry about kissing? Kim laughed, her high squeaky laughed. What would he do if he caught you really making out? Have a heart attack? I wish, Heather said glumly. She looked again to make sure Mel wasn't watching. He didn't like it when his waitresses talked to friends, even if they weren't busy. We're ready to order now, the man in the back booth called, loud enough for Mel to poke his head out of the kitchen to see if Heather was being negligent. I'll be right back, Heather told Kim. You want something to eat or anything? Kim shook her head. Not in this dive, she said in her hoarse, funny voice. Heather hurried over and took the family's order. Three cheeseburgers, three french fries, three cokes. The man acted as if he'd been waiting for hours. I don't want mine too juicy, he said. No problem. I'll dry it off for you, Heather thought. She scribbled the order onto her pad and shoved it onto the kitchen window shelf for Mel. He muttered something unintelligible, and Heather returned to Kim, who was leaning against the counter, watching Marjorie chew gum. I wish I could quit this stupid job, Heather sighed. Well, why don't you? You don't need the money, do you? Kim asked. No, I don't. I have $3,000 in my checking account. So quit. Go ahead. Quit right now. Then you can come over to my house. I can't, Heather said, straightening the napkins in a metal dispenser. My stupid uncle won't let me spend that money. What do you mean? It's yours, isn't it? Uncle James says I have to save it. Save it for what? He won't say. Just save it. Oh, I hate him so much, Heather said, and then lowered her voice because Marjorie was staring at her. He won't let me spend it on clothes or lunches or school expenses or anything, so I have to work. You told me you have a trust fund, right? Kim was struggling to understand Uncle James's reasoning. With enough money to pay for college? More than enough. I'm loaded, Heather said, but I can't touch any of my money. Uncle James is in charge of it until I'm 18, and he wants me to work to build my character. What a creep, Kim said, shaking her brown curls. He's worse than a creep, Heather confided. I think he's spending some of my money. He bought a new computer last week for his study. I saw the receipt. He paid cash for it. He doesn't have that kind of money. Can you prove he's taking your money? Kim asked in a loud whisper. If you can. I can't, Heather said. I don't even know where he keeps the bank records. There's no way I can prove anything. I just have a hunch. Well, you should, Kim started. Hey, you've got customers, Mel barked angrily. Heather turned to the booths. Two elderly women were easing themselves into a booth. One of them was struggling a proper can against the back of the booth. Later, Kim said, heading toward the door. Call me, okay? Yeah, okay, Heather called back to her, hurrying over to help the two women. She was nearly to their booth when a hand reached out and grabbed her arm. Chapter 5 Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. Heather stared at the boy, waiting for her heart to stop pounding. He had the most amazing hair. It was pure white, not blonde, not silver, pure white. It was parted in the middle and fell in waves down to his collar. It was even more startling because the boy's features were dark. His skin was ruddy, almost tanned. His eyes were dark brown. He had the most adorable cleft in his chin. Heather just stared at him. He may have been the most handsome boy she'd ever seen. He looked like he could be in the movies or on TV. I was just trying to get your attention, he said embarrassed. I didn't mean to scare you, really. Are you okay? 
Heather realized she was staring at him with her mouth wide open. Sorry, I didn't see you. I mean, could we have the check, please? The man in the back booth called impatiently. Check, please, his little boy repeated. Excuse me, Heather told the white-haired boy, and hurried to the back booth, grateful for the interruption. Get yourself together, she told herself. You've seen good-looking guys before. What's the big deal? Such amazing hair. White as snow. She titled the check for the family. The little boy had been true to his word. He hadn't tasted the cheeseburger. Then she took the order from the two elderly ladies, two chocolate ice cream sodas, and handed it in to Mel. Business was picking up. Several of the counter seats were now filled, and Heather could see that Marjorie was in her usual state of confusion, trying to remember who had ordered what. I haven't forgotten you, she said to the boy with the white hair. Are you ready to order? Yeah, I guess, he said, his large brown eyes peering up at her. Coffee, tea, or me, she thought. Now where did that come from? I just want a burger and fries, he said, and a Coke. I haven't seen you here before, Heather said, scribbling down the order. I just moved to Twin Valley a couple of weeks ago, he said, unbuttoning his denim jacket. He wore a navy blue sweatshirt underneath. You go to Twin Valley High. Yeah, said Heather, looking to see if the ice cream sodas were ready. You too? He nodded. What homeroom are you in? He thought about it and laughed. His eyes crinkled when he laughed. Heather was a real sucker for crinkly eyes. I can't remember his name. You know, the tall teacher. Mr. Looper? Yeah, Looper, he said, spitting a salt shaker between his hands. Isn't that a sophomore homeroom? Heather asked, checking to make sure Mel wasn't watching. She wasn't allowed to chat this long with the customers. I thought everyone looked really young, he exclaimed. They both laughed. What's your name? he asked. Heather. Heather Dixon. You look like a Heather, he said, his face expressionless. What do you mean? You know, all blonde and pretty. Heathery, he smiled. Thanks, I guess. What's your name? She looked down the road to see three teenage boys climb into the front booth. One of them kept punching his friend playfully on the shoulder. Snowman, he said. That's your name? Well, it's what people call me. Why? Heather asked. Because of your hair? No. He flashed her another smile. Because I'm cold as ice. He raised his hand for her to slap him five. She ignored it and took a step back. Snowman? He shrugged. It's just a dumb nickname. He made a funny face, then stared into her eyes. His eyes seemed to glow like dark coals beneath the white hair. He wasn't just looking at her, checking her out, Heather felt. She thought she could read a plea in his eyes. He seemed to be asking her for something. Now, don't get carried away, she scolded herself. I think of Snowman as being very round and very soft, she said. That's me, he said. He's so good-looking, Heather thought. I wonder if he realizes how incredibly handsome he is. She turned away to stop herself from staring at him. I'll put your order in, she said, and headed toward the kitchen. It was very busy for a Thursday night. All of the booths were filled, which meant that Heather had to run in six directions at once. It also meant that she couldn't stop to chat any further with Snowman. As she worked, she kept looking over to his booth where he was hungrily devouring his food. She realized she felt drawn to him. It wasn't just that he was so unusual looking with that white hair. He also seemed like a really nice guy. He had looked disappointed when she had dropped his food on the table and hurried on to the next booth. She could tell he wanted to talk some more. She could tell he was attracted to her, too. You look like a Heather, he had said. Funny thing to say. But she knew she was pretty with her golden hair, which she usually swept straight back into an off-centered ponytail her creamy, pale skin and high cheekbones, and her dark blue, almost violet eyes. She could be really popular, she knew, if she weren't so shy, if she didn't have to spend so much time working in this awful restaurant, if Uncle James didn't restrict her from doing anything that was fun. When she dropped the tray of water glasses and the glass shattered about her feet, she looked over at him. He gave her a sympathetic look, then returned to his food. Mel yelled something from the kitchen. Marjorie offered to help clean up the glass. Customers called from three different booths at once. 
She couldn't stop thinking about Snowman. He must be pretty lonely, she figured, having just moved to Twin Valley. I'll have to look for him in school, she thought. She walked over to his booth, pad in hand. She wanted to say something to him, but her mind was suddenly a blank. She couldn't think of a thing. He looked at her again with his searching, dark eyes. Ready for the check? That was the only thing she could think of to say. Why did this always happen to her when she became nervous? And why did she always get so tongue-tied? He took the check from her and reached into his back pocket for his wallet. Whose homeroom are you in? he asked. Oh, uh, she was so startled by the question she couldn't think of it. Reedy, Mr. Reedy, 304. Yeah, I'll look for you, he said, smiling up at her. I don't know too many kids. His smile faded abruptly. He pulled himself up in the booth and reached into his other jeans pockets. He suddenly looked upset. He reached quickly into his jacket pockets. Oh no, he said, blushing. That's really cute, Heather thought. He looks just like a ten-year-old when he blushes like that. My wallet, he said. I must have left it at home. He searched all through his pockets again, then looked to see if it had fallen on the floor. Can't find it? she asked. What a stupid question. Of course he couldn't find it. Why else would he continue searching like that? I... I don't have any money, he said, dropping back down into the vinyl seat. Does this mean you have to arrest me? He looked so worried, Heather couldn't help but laugh. I could wash dishes, I guess, he said. He looked so serious, Heather couldn't tell if he was kidding or not. Why don't I pay for your food, Heather told him, checking to see where Mel was. And you can pay me back tomorrow morning in school. Oh, wow, that's really nice of you, he said, relaxing a bit. I could drive home and get my wallet and come back. Heather glanced up at the clock. No, it's almost closing time. Just pay me back tomorrow morning, snowman. That's really great of you, he said, climbing quickly out of the booth. She was surprised to see that he was nearly a foot taller than she. I've got another idea, he said, buttoning his faded denim jacket. Why don't I pay you back Saturday night? We can go dancing or something. Yes, Heather thought. But she forced herself to be cautious. Well, I don't usually go out with customers, she said, hitting the way the words sounded. But I'm not a customer, he insisted. At least, I'm not a paying customer. They both laughed. He's really sweet, she thought. I'll bet you get hit on a lot, he said. Yeah, sometimes. You should see the kind of guys I attract. Well, okay, I'll pay you back in school tomorrow, he said, looking away. No, I mean, I'll go out with you. Saturday night is fine. Now I sound too eager, she thought. But what difference did it make? She wanted to go out with him. He seemed like someone really special. Hey, Heather, you on vacation? Mel called, sticking his sweaty, bald head out through the kitchen door. Heather scribbled her address in her pad, tore off the sheet, and handed it to Snowman. Thanks again, he said, and headed to the door, taking long strides, his hair glowing under the bright overhead lights. Heather had trouble concentrating on anything for the rest of her shift. Luckily, there was only about twenty minutes to go. What a night, Marjorie exclaimed, as Heather pulled on her jacket and punched a time clock. My head is still spinning. See you tomorrow, Heather said, and stepped out into the cold, thinking about Snowman. Now, where did I park the car, she asked herself, surveying the endless parking lot. It had snowed while she had been working. Another inch added to the six inches already on the ground. Most of the cars were blanketed with a thin layer of white. It looks pretty, she thought. Everything looks pretty tonight, even this parking lot. She remembered that she had parked down by the movie theater. Pulling up the collar of her down jacket, she lowered her head against the onrushing wind and began walking. One by one, the store lights went out. Each store seemed to darken as she passed. She had the eerie feeling that she was causing them to go out. The parking lot seemed to grow darker. She turned a corner and picked up her pace. Her breath floated up in gray clouds against the black, moonless sky. Her stinker slid on the slushy snow. She tried to remember why she had parked so far from the restaurant. This area of the parking lot was nearly deserted. The last show at the movie theater had started. There were only a few cars parked by the entrance. It was eerily quiet. 
She never liked the parking lot after the mall had closed. It was too large, too dark, too empty. It made her feel so vulnerable. She stopped when she heard footsteps behind her, soft footsteps in the fresh, wet snow. Fast, faster, coming toward her. Oh! She uttered a low cry and started to run. Someone was following her.